I want to speak to you about overcoming with Jesus. The next three weeks we're going to talk about overcoming with Jesus. And I want to, I want to be, one of the reasons why I think that this is really important is in our society, what has happened in our society in the West, our society has become more and more sensual. You know what I mean by that? It's related to your emotions. Your feelings are the most important thing that you have. In fact, your feelings are so strong that your feelings communicate to you that when you feel something so strongly, that's the truth. That's the reality of things. And when that happens, when that happens in our lives and our emotions are so strong, what happens is we, we find it very difficult when our emotions tell us something that's contrary to the Word of God. So if our emotions tell us we should be fearful... It's very difficult when, when, the, when the Word of God tells us to have faith in God. It's very difficult to have faith in God because the emotions are shouting so loud we can't hear God's presence with us. I'm mindful of the, of, the, of the people that were in the boat with Jesus when Jesus is going from one side to the other side. And remember, he's gone to sleep in the back of the boat. He's asleep there and then the storm begins to rage. It's a demonic storm. A storm has been whipped up by Satan. And the disciples are incredibly scared. They've been in that situation before. They know that those sort of, those sort of waves, waves and that sort of amount of wind could sink a boat and they could die. So they are fearful of their lives. And so they go to Jesus and they say to Jesus, they wake him up out of his slumber because he's asleep. He knows the boat's not going down. He's confident where he is. They wake him up and say, don't you care that we should perish? Their emotions were telling them, we need to be really scared and frightened about what's happening because what's happening is so fearsome, it could kill us. Yet Jesus is asleep. Now you would think that Jesus would wake up and say, there, there, come here, my little children. Oh, there, there, pat, pat, you know. No, he wakes up and he rebukes them for their lack of faith. Oh, you of little faith, he says. You of little faith. I mean... That is what it's like in our society today. The, ra- the raging storm is about us. And emotionally we can get look at and we can, we can feel so upset and so, uh, have a, such a sense of anguish about what's going on that we lose our focus on Jesus and we lose confidence that Jesus is involved in this exercise, that he is actually in the boat with us. And because we lose our confidence and we lose our focus on Jesus, we begin to run around faithless being controlled by the strength of our emotion. And it's at those points of times that we really need to overcome. That's what it's like every day with people who have not got their eyes on Jesus. It's like one wind after another wind. They're blown and tossed by every wind that comes at them because their eyes are not seated and set on Jesus. And we have to learn, friends, to overcome all of those winds of emotion. We have to learn to triumph in our lives if we're going to move forward in God. So I want to talk to you about the times of trouble that are coming upon the face of the earth. Now you know this uh, passage of scripture, we've used it before. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. Now there are some notes down the back there, African notes. Have you got those there? Before we go any further, just let me, because there's no point in actually doing them without actually handing them out. There, just give me one. All right, now what I've done, now I want to talk to you a little bit about this before we go on to the rest of it. In the inside, all I've, all, this is for African brothers and sisters who, who are, are probably more proficient in Swahili and some of those other dialects than they are in, in English. 
in this insight, I've only given you the scripture references written written in in your language, so that you can so you can actually you can look them up. And there's no actual scripture written down there. Okay, you can write notes in there if you want. But I, I have an exercise for you, because I believe that you you come here because God wants you to be here with us. That's why you're here with us, because God has joined our hearts together. And we are one. Uh, God saw that there was a, a fellowship that was going to work, walk with you as you integrated into Australia. And so we want to help you do that. And part of the way we want to help you do that, we're going to give you an exercise, an exercise in English. Okay? Because if you like, there's a very loud voice inside of you, which is the language in which you come from. So you think in Swahili, you think in an African language and you sort of interpret it into uh, English and so it's tough for you so it's very hard you know you it's very easy for you to think African and not to think Australian English so we want to help you change that a little bit your children are learning English at school and so they when I sit and talk with them I hit, sit and listen to them in the bus they talk more English sort of than they do Swahili then they go back into some African dialect but when you sit in the bus I listen to you talk African because you think African part of the problem of becoming part of Australia what we have to do is we have to try and change that so that the 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 louder voice in your mind is English Okay, so I have, an, I have an exercise for you. Now, you, how many of you have an English Bible? You've all got English Bibles? Okay, so you need to take your Swahili Bible or your African Bible, or whether it's in uh, summer, and you have your English Bible, and you need to open both Bibles up. Okay, so when we go home, I want you to take just five of the scriptures that we used in today's sermon. These are all the scriptures that we'll use in today's sermon. I want you to just take five of them. Just five, not all, just five. Just choose five that you'd like. And then on the back of this piece of paper, I want you to write those, those scriptures out in English, copying from your English Bible, so that you can write the whole verse out in English. You don't have to change it into your own words. That's what you girls are doing in other places. But I just copy the English in here on this one. And then I want you to bring it to me next week so I can mark your homework. Okay, will you do that? Mama Rosa, do you understand what I just said? Yeah, could you explain it to Mama Rosa later? If she did, she said she understands, but I'm not sure whether she's just being polite. <laughs> but that's what I want you to do. And the, and the re- I'm going to do this every week because I really believe that God wants, we, wants us to help you to learn English better. And I want to do that. I want to be able to help you to learn English better. We, have, we had on Tuesday night, we had a, a, a guy from the Cook Islands coming. He said he was going to come today. He, he wasn't there. Kaputunga, his name is. Please pray for Kaputunga. He's a, he's a lovely Cook Islander. He's got nine in his family. He came on Tuesday night. We had a lovely time of fellowship with him. Uh, we had a girl called Mirin. She was there. She's, she's was going to come today. Also, Teresa was going to come today. And a, a, a woman called Devota and her daughter were going to come today. But somehow they, they said, we'll see you on Sunday. And we arranged to pick them up, but they weren't there. So just keep on praying for, for those that are coming. And God is opening the doors for them. We pray for them and they start coming along. Devota, I've been praying for, for maybe three or four weeks. Uh, and then on uh, Tuesday night, she... She wants to come along to home fellowship. So God is actually drawing them in. So that's good. All right.
So that's the homework for the African, okay? You are now Australian Africans. Your, your homework? Oh, it's, I'm coming to that. I'm coming to that. I, I'm not allowed to use red pen anymore when I mark them? Okay, I'll try not to. All right. This is what the scripture says in 2 Timothy, Timotheo, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. It says, but, I know this, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. When it talks about perilous, it talks about um, really troublesome, hard, difficult times. That's, a, that's what we're experiencing, troublesome, hard, difficult times. He says, they're going to come because men will be lovers of themselves. They will be lovers of money. They will be boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pressure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such of these people turn away. Now, I put in red... This idea of lovers. Now the word lovers is a, a word that talks about the heat or the passion of emotion towards something. It's the word phileo. It talks about warmth or heat or passion. So it's a very sensual, a very feeling love. There are, there are three kinds of word love in the, in the Bible. One is eros, that's the physical love. The, the other is phileo, which is a, a warmth Warmth love, where we have friendship, love, a warmth of emotion. I love you because you just make me feel good, you know. Because you make me feel good, I love you. That's the phileo love. And then there's the agape love of God, which is the love which is a choosing love, a love that is a choice love. It doesn't matter what goes wrong. It doesn't matter what happens. I still love you. It can be really tough. It can be really hard, but I still love you. That's a, a God's love. Now this, where you see lovers here in this passage of scripture, it's always referring to this warmth or emotional passion. So people have a love toward themselves. They have a great sense of warmth or emotion towards themselves. They have a, a love with regard to money. They love money. They feel good about money. They have a passion for money. They have a love with regard to pleasure. They want pleasure. They're looking for pleasure. They go out all night partying, looking and seeking for pleasure because they have such a craving and a desire for pleasure. He said, because of all these things, he says, it's going to be terrible times. And then in the church, he says, they, they will be having a form of godliness, but they'll deny its power. And the word power is this word here. It means strength, power, and ability. Now, I want to just draw your attention to that. When you have so much emotion for the wrong thing, when it comes for the right thing, when it comes to God, you'll say, it just hasn't touched me anymore. It doesn't move me anymore. I just don't feel it anymore. I mean, I have all this emotion and all this feeling for all the wrong stuff. I have so much passion for the wrong stuff. I just don't feel like God's moving me anymore. I don't, unless God is an emotion that I feel, I don't feel that emotion anymore. I just feel for all the wrong stuff. And so to deny that there's even the existence of any power for God. So modernism in our society has actually corroded this whole idea that there can be power and ability from God. It's like Christianity has become powerless unless you're feeling some sense of warmth or emotion. Christianity has become 
devoid of any significant power unless you are feeling some passion. And so we're looking for passionate feeling when we come to church. If we could look and find in church some atmosphere that will create some passion for us, then we, oh, then God's in the place. And what happens when the passion leaves? Obviously God left somewhere. He went for a holiday and left us alone. That's the problem. Denying the power of God because we become so sensual, so emotional, so looking for something sensual. And then it says that from this... This, the denying is the deception. Because if we keep just looking for things that are emotional all the time, then you start to think that if it's not emotional, if it's not feeling, if it's not feeling, if I'm not feeling something about it, then it mustn't be, it mustn't be real. It mustn't be there. And that's the, the deception comes in. That there is actually, God can't help me in my situation. In James chapter 1 verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So he's talking about now temptation. The word temptation is the condition of things or a mental state by which we are enticed into sin or lapse from faith and holiness. So temptation is a thing that makes us feel something. When you are feeling something, then you are tempted to do something. So when you are feeling something, you are moved from your strong convictions of faith, which maybe have nothing to do with feeling, and you are moved away from your holiness into a place which is less than holy that makes you feel happy, but which is not godlike. That's what temptation is. It's, there are two words here for temptation. One is the adversary, is affliction. It means like you're facing a hardship and, and that's trying you and tempting you. And the other one is being lured or enticed away from it. In James chapter 1, verse 12, he continues to explain to you what temptation looks like. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. That's why Jesus wasn't tempted by the things in, in, in Matthew 4. He was, he was tried by them, but he, he, there was no evil in him to be tempted. Because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So God isn't coming and saying to you, why don't you do this wicked thing? Because God doesn't do that. The devil does that. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when he... The desire is conceived to give birth to sin, and when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Now, the word desires is the word craving, longing, desire for what is forbidden. It's lust. That's what the word is. So when desire is started, it's emotional. It gets emotional. It gets more than emotional. It gets strong emotions. It gets more than strong emotions. It gets physical feeling of temptations like you feel some sense of drawing in your guts towards something because that's it got it's gotten out to a physical yearning so it starts an emotional and it ends up a physical yearning that's temptation he says he says and you're enticed now for a believer we know that jesus lives inside of you that you are a human being and you have a physical body and you have normal desires but what happens is the devil comes along and the word is entices it says the lust and the impulses of a man he he oh, sorry the bait to catch a fish he comes out and he puts a hook in front of you with a piece of bait on it that he knows that you're going to like so if i was going to entice 
wait. Claudia, you just have to go through the files. There's a lot of files up there, lady. And if you, if you answer the question for me before I get to it, you, you know what? You don't help me. You need to wait and be uncomfortable like I am, and it will come to me. The more uncomfortable I feel, the better it is, because it makes my brain work. And if you don't use your brain, you lose your brain. Hey, you know that, don't you? If you don't use your brain, you lose your brain. So if I was going to tempt Claudia, the first thing that I'd have to do is I'd have to know exactly how Claudia thinks. I'd have to know what she likes and what she doesn't like. Okay? Now, I could do that if I was the devil. I could do that just by watching her, by watching what she does, watching what she looks at, watching what she listens to. Now, uh, Claudia, you asked Jesus to come into your life, didn't you? So Jesus is living inside of you. So the strong man is living on the inside. Jesus is on the inside. So the, the bad man was kicked out when Jesus came to live on the inside. So the strong man lives in there. So the only way that I can get into you to try and is to come and look at you and watch you and then entice you with a piece of bait. Now, if I were to say, I've got a Barbie doll, you want to play with Barbie? No, that wouldn't do it for Claudia. Why? Because Claudia's not into Barbie dolls. You know, that might be uh, somebody else here, but it's not Claudia. She doesn't like pink Barbie dolls. Do you like pink Barbie dolls? No, no. But if I said, hey, you want to come and play a game of basketball or something with me? Now, that would be a little bit more interesting for her because she's very competitive. So what I'd do is I'd think about how I could get to her through her competitive way. And then I would set up a little test for her where I'd say, here's a little bit of something. And I'd say, wiggle it in front of her so that she would start to think, boy, I have to make a choice now between this thing, which is God's thing, and this thing, which is now really desirable for me because I like to do that thing. And there is the temptation. The devil knows exactly where we live. He knows exactly what it is in our hearts. And he puts it up in front of it and he entices us. It doesn't come from within, it comes from without. And then we accept it and take it on inside. And if we take it on inside, what happens is it starts to build a strength of emotion within us. So we have this little thing here. We starts off with a little feeling. Inside, it starts to sort of generate within us and then it builds to very strong sensual emotions, physical feelings. It starts off with something very natural, like hunger is a very natural thing. But if I feed my hunger and I go too far, I can get into gluttony, which becomes then a driven thing. With the, I can become so full and so wanting more, I can go and vomit and then eat some more. And a whole lot of sins are related to that. It starts with a very normal desire and ends up in a very addicted practice. So sex is normal, but if you take sex and you pervert it, you get pornography and all kinds of wickedness that are associated just with that normal emotion, a normal thing. So, But how does it get to that point? How does it get to that it starts off with a couple of tracks in the grass. How does it get to the place where it's like ruts that are out of control? You know, you start off with a couple of little thoughts like this and it's just presses the grass down and before you know it, you've got these tracks in your life that you can't get out of. Once the car gets into those tracks, you can't pull yourself out of that track. How does it get to that place? Because that's what we've got to overcome. We've got to overcome this place where we start something and it gets to this place where we can't get out of where we're at. We've got to get out of that thing. 
You know, James 1 verse 16, when it talks about all this sin, it says, Do not be deceived, my, my bro- beloved brethren. It says, and the word deceived is to cause, to stray, to head astray, lead aside from the way of truth. You see this teeth on the tomato there. He's, he's tempted to touch that tomato and to see the teeth. If he touches it, it's going to bite him. So how does it get that way? I've got a little drawing on the, on the, on the board. I want to explain it to you. So you can understand, this is the way our brain works. This is the way the devil uses temptation. And this is what happens in our lives. And you'll, you'll relate to it. And, and it, I'll t- I hope I can show you how to get out of it. All right, we start with birth. Everybody gets born. That's the first thing that's got to happen, hey? If you're not born, then you're not going to get tempted. So Jesus says sometimes it's, it would have been better if they weren't born. He said of Judas, wasn't it? It would have been better if he hadn't been born. Okay, so once you get born and it starts at 2 o'clock, at 2 years old or something like that, and you have these feelings... Why? Because you're human. And so what you do with those feelings is you sort of like you, you cry a little bit and you make sure that people understand that you are not feeling happy. And so once you get the feelings, there's usually a response. And some behavior. So it goes like that. You get some feelings and then there's the response and some behavior. Now that starts off very young for us. We were, we were driving here this morning in the car. Miriam's sitting in the child restraint chair and the dolphin has given her a lolly or something and then she wants another lolly. And our dolphin must have said no to her and all of a sudden I hear in the background this little cry, uh, she's going to cry uh, or Miriam's going to cry. Um, uh, don't cry, Miriam, don't cry. You know, well, well Miriam's learned that if she cries loud enough and long enough and hard enough, you will stop her from crying by giving her what she wants. Now, all kids do that. All kids do that. That's the way they cry. That's called emotional manipulation. And what happens is we, we get that early on in the piece and we learn that if we, ah, then we get what we want. You know, you know, some ladies, some mothers, they say, cry. Mummy is not moved. But others don't. Nathan's going to explore all this in a couple of months with his new baby. So what happens again? This then happens again. Of course, feelings are satisfied at this point. Then it comes around where we need some more satisfaction. And so we get some more feelings. And at this point, it's getting stronger now. So those feelings are getting stronger. They're going along that chart. They're getting a little bit more... Orange, if you go back one there and have a look at that. They're getting a little bit orange now. They're getting stronger. And of course, there's a response. You feed and you behave to feed. You do something. You do that over and over again. After you run that car across that grass over and over again, you get those tracks happening. Pretty soon you hear... You're growing up now, you're in an adolescent lifetime, and you're getting these strong feelings now, but they've gone from feelings now to cravings, to passion. And inside, you're feeling sensation. You're feeling 
drawing, gnawing pain. Satisfy me. I want to be satisfied. That's what you struggle with. Whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, whether it's passion and lust, whether it, well, it doesn't matter what it is, whatever your weakness is, the devil will know it and he will work it and you will at this point have to make a decision whether you're going to keep that spiral down until you go to hell because at the end of the exercise you're living for the flesh and going to be controlled by the devil if you keep on feeding it like that. And you have to make a decision whether you're going to change it. At point. When Jesus gives you new life, he says, I take the man inside out that is controlling you and I'll put my spirit inside you so that you can make a difference. You can change here right now. And at this point here, he takes away the old birth and gives you a new birth. Can I suggest to you, some of us, it, it takes us a little bit. We're meant to have been done with sin at this point. Some of us carry on a little bit because it's difficult for us to understand this. At this point here, we get the feelings happen again. But our response at this time is going to be obedience. Which means here... Our feelings is one thing, but the thing that's got to be greater than our feelings has got to be our faith. Our faith then has got to overcome the feelings. I know I feel like I want to satisfy my flesh. However, I believe that Jesus is living inside of me. Therefore, I will do what Jesus wants me to do and not do what I feel like I want to do. I know I feel like I want to sin. I know my body wants to sin. I know it wants to sin. I am not denying that I want to sin. But my faith in Jesus is greater than my feeling about sinning. I want to walk in faith. So I'm going to change that now. I stop the feelings. I say, deny the feelings. And my response is obedience. Not satisfy the feelings or the emotions or the passions. It's to deny the feelings, to put it to death and to now to live in faith toward God. What happens? It goes away. The pain goes away because you walk out of that and say, Oh, Jesus, he's got me through that one. I'm, I overcame once, I overcame. But after a little while, the feelings come back again. And you have another decision to make now. Whether you're going to live your lives according to the passion of your flesh, the feelings and the emotions that are around you, that are making you think that you shouldn't have, you have to have that. You can watch TV all the time and fill those emotions all up and fill it up so they become strong again. You can read magazines and look at fashion and, and have a strong desire for fashion again. You can go and look at all the things that are in the world and, and listen to movies and radios and, 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 and fill up all your, and then you will really struggle at this point. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you fill yourself up with the world, then your feelings are going to be stronger than your faith in God's word. And at this point, you have to overcome your feelings again to put faith in its place. And faith is only seen in obedience towards God and you start in your walk toward heaven. Now friends, this is where we get to and this is where you have to... Put the effort in right at this point of time. You, you've got to get to the place where you say, okay, I am not going to let the things that are happening around me, the emotions that I feel, dictate for my life. 
Young men and young women, you're living in a world that's been trained to deceive you. You're living in a world that is, is marketed toward you. All of the marketing and advertisement is there to deceive you, to take you away from your faith in Jesus. To make you think that looking, looking good is more important than being good. Then having a fun time is more important than being obedient before God. It's marketing coming at you in the West, trying to teach you to put God out of the situation and put yourself in the center. Just believe in yourself. Every popular song that you have today is marketed at you to say, just believe in yourself. And it's good if you feel some stuff. And it's good if you get down there and do this stuff. Everybody's having fun. Why don't you have some fun with us? It's marketed to deceive you. And if you don't understand that, you'll gobble it up and you'll feed your flesh and you'll end up spiritually dying. You need to overcome. You need to stand strong and overcome. If you do something once, that's a problem. But if you do it a number of times, that's going to be a really big problem. Better if you sin once and then stop and repent and never do it again than to repeat the problem over and over again because you'll get yourself in such a bind you will not be able to break the chains. So here's the deception. Here's the rut. When you're in a rut, what's a rut? This is a rut. That's a rut. That's called a rut. R-U-T, rut. It's a, it's a groove in the ground that you can't get out of. When you put your car in there, you can turn your wheels, but it will pull your wheels back in the line. It will make you go where you don't want to go. That's a rut. It's there because you traveled on that road many times before. You've gone there so many times, that's the way it's easy. da 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 bang bang da 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 bang bang da 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 bang bang You've done it so many times that da 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 Bang, bang. It's just, you just go there. That's a rut. And so when it comes to ruts, this is what the Word of God says. Or this is, this is what the deception says. When you're in a rut, your desires are too strong, you can't do anything about it. You know, you're feeling it now. It's too strong. You can't fight that. That's the deception. The rut is the way... And it gives you reality. You know, it is, I feel, you know, you get this with, with people who fall in love who shouldn't be falling in love. Oh, he's married to somebody else. He meets the secretary at work. And they start flirting with each other. And before long, they're having lunch together. And then before long, they're looking into each other's lives and they're saying, I feel so happy when I'm with you. And then their feelings are so in inflamed he spends more time with her than he does with his missus she likes him hasn't got a bloke and so now they feel strong sensual emotions toward each other and then they say and i have to break up with my wife i have to leave my wife because i don't love her anymore i've got to go with my heart you've heard it i've got to go with my heart i've got to follow my heart because my heart's telling me what the truth is. And the truth is, I love another person. That's the truth. I can't, I can't deny that. That's the truth. I've got to be real to me. That's the deception. That's the biggest lie. Because it's just your emotions. 
And after you get into that paddock and you run a course in that paddock, guess what? You'll meet somebody else. You do the same thing again and again and again. And that's what happens in marriages. Busted, broken, divorced, busted, break, get married again, divorced again, married again, divorced again, married again, divorced again. It goes on and on and on. And why? Because you don't learn the lesson. The deception is that Jesus has no strength or power or ability and, and neither do you. You're just locked in there. Jesus can't help you with the situation. You can't change. You've just got to accept the way things are. That's the deceptions. But the truth is that Jesus has power and he has authority. Whether you feel it or not, that's the truth. And Jesus has power and authority. He rec- recognizing that the power and authority of Jesus is a matter of faith and not feeling it. You don't have to feel that he has power and authority. He has got power and authority. Is something going on with the speakers? You're right? It's all right. Yeah, maybe. <clears throat> Remember the man who came to Jesus in John chapter, or in Matthew chapter eight, and and um, Jesus was going to pray for his uh, the centurion's. I think it's a servant, is it? Or is a son? Can't remember. Anyway, somebody's sick at home, and he says, "Jesus says, come and pray for my servant who's sick." And Jesus said, "Well, I'll go. I'll come." And he says, "Uh." Uh-uh. You don't need to do that. He says, I know something about authority. He says, I'm a man under authority. Like I take my orders from Caesar. And I have men under authority who are under me. And I tell this one to go and he goes and this one to come and he comes. So I know what authority is. It's the ability to speak and to command and people will obey you. He says, and he says, I discern, Jesus, that you are a man of authority. You can say the word and it can happen. It will, people will, the, the Holy Spirit will take it and it will go and, and, and it will be accomplished. So because I know what authority is, I'm just asking you now, speak the word and my servant will be healed, he says. Thank you, love. God bless you. <clears throat> That's the right stuff too. So Jesus spoke the word and he's amazed at this man. He says, when Jesus heard, he says, and Jesus spoke and said to them, all authority, oh, sorry, he says, assuredly I say to you, I I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. He said, this man has got such great faith because he knew that authority rested in Jesus. He knew that Jesus had authority. To understand that Jesus has authority to break the chains that hold you, you have to have faith. Faith that would deny the feelings that, you know, your, your servant is somewhere over there and that you need Jesus to come and lay his hand on him. You just have to, Jesus, you should speak the word and it will happen. That's faith. Jesus said, that's the way things get broken, by faith, not by following your emotions and your feelings. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells you just how much authority he has. He says, all authority is given unto me, therefore go and make disciples. And authority is this... It's just the power of choice. So you can make a choice. So when it comes to this point where we are drawn between emotions and we're drawn between the feelings that we have and the choices that we make, we can have authority at this place here. Jesus can give us authority here and give us a choice to change the way things are. We don't have to keep on doing the wrong thing. We can have Jesus' authority right into our lives, right there. He says, the ability or strength 
with which one is endured, which either possesses or exercises. Now we know we possess it because Jesus lives inside of us. We possess authority in Christ. Everybody says, I have authority. Okay, I have authority. Say it again. I say it like you believe it, Sam. I have authority. Do you really have authority? So when temptation comes and draws your guts and tries to pull you to do the wrong thing, you have authority. You have authority. You have authority because Jesus gives you authority. And because Jesus has got all authority and he resides within you. All authority resides within you. Oh, I don't feel it though, Mark. I don't feel very powerful. I don't care whether you feel it or not. The, the, the fact is you have it. That what makes you responsible before God. Because if you have it and you don't use it, you're going to get burned for that. If you have it and you don't use it, then Jesus says, it's not that you didn't have it, it's that you didn't use it. He says, it's because what you possess and that what you exercise. At this point, when you're getting tempted, you've got two choices. You've got a choice to say, oh, I can't fight my feelings. My emotions are too strong. I just love. I just want. I Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Or you can say, you know what? I'm feeling that way, but I've got authority. I'm going to stand in Jesus and say, I'm not going to do that thing. My body is not going to control me. I'm going to control my body. You have authority. You either exercise it or it gets you. Now you feel that all the time. You get to that place where, you, where this thing goes round and round and you get in a rut. The only thing that's going to call you out of a rut is you're going to stand in the authority of Jesus and say, I don't need to do this anymore. I can stop this now. And I can't do that for you. I can't do that for you, Sam. I'm not there when the devil's tempting you. I'm not there when the devil's tempting you. I, I can't do that for you. You have to know that inside. Because when you need to exercise that, you need to stand on you and say, I am now getting tempted to do the wrong thing. I have to stand down and say, I have authority. I've got to do that. If you don't do that, you will end up in hell, spiraling round and round and round and round until you give up because you just feel like you can't do anything. You have authority. But not only do you have authority, you have power. Authority and power. Jesus says he called his 12 disciples together and he gave them power and authority over demons to cure diseases. He gave it to them. He says, I'll give you power and authority. They went out with power and authority. They went out. They were equipped to do the work that God called them to do. They could say no. They could make the right choices. And they had the ability in God to do what God wanted them to do. They had power and authority. That's what it says here. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You should be my witnesses. You receive power from the Holy Spirit. So what's the word power mean? The word power is strength, power, and ability. It's inherent power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or a thing exerts and puts forth. So you have power, strength to do the thing which you choose to do. Authority is 
Your choice, you have a right of choice. We had a woman last night who came from prayer. She stood there and she was just beaten by, by alcohol, beaten by cigarettes, beaten by a life of sin. And she didn't think that she had any power to say no to it. She didn't think that she had any right. She had no choices in front of you. Jesus gives you the first choice. The first choice to say no to sin. You don't have to sin. You don't have to keep on doing that bad thing. You don't have to get controlled by that. You have the right and the choice to move away from it. And he gives you the power to say no and to move completely away from it and and move right out of that situation. He gives you that. That's yours. You, You got it inside of you already. He can't give you any more of it. You got it. The Holy Spirit's within you. He's full of power. The fullness of God lives in Jesus Christ and he dwells in you. All of God dwells in you. Think about that. The God who put the moon in place and spun it there and said, now stay fixed and now control this wobbly earth. And the scientists don't know how it got there. They can't even, they can't come up with a theory about how the moon got there. They don't understand how the moon is staying there. They don't understand why it's there. They are, they've reached an end. They do not know how the moon got there. We know because God put it there. And if God can hold the earth in place by putting a moon there and keep everything in balance, His Holy Spirit inside of you can pull you into the line and keep you in balance and stop you from going over, over the end. Understand that. You have the power and you have the authority in Jesus. So how do we exercise that power and authority in life? 1 John 4 4 tells us very simply, you're of God, little children, and have, past tense, overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Oh, wait a minute. Shouldn't it say, will have? It says, have. Not will have. It says, have. Which basically means that whether you feel like it or not, or whether you've sinned over and over again, if you sinned over and over again, you're actually denying the reality that you do have power to overcome it. For all those who overcome it are born of God. For those who are born of God, overcome. You got it if you've been born of God. If you haven't been born of God, you, had, you don't have it. But if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you have overcome it. If you don't overcome it, you are living a deception because you have the power and authority to overcome it. And you have in Jesus overcome it. All you need to do is just stand and say, I have overcome this. So when that thing grabs you, Another and starts pulling and say, come this way, come this way. You've got something inside of you that says, you know what? You've got no power over me. You've got no control over me. You can't control me like this. I can sever you from my life and you can't touch me anymore. Get away from me. You can, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why? Because you have overcome it. Jesus made you overcome it. Jesus gave you the power to overcome it. You are an overcomer. You will get to heaven because you are an overcomer. Jesus loves you. He gives you everything you need for life and godliness and you've got it inside of you right now. You've got all that you need in God right now inside of you. Colossians chapter 1, 27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And this is the mystery that he made known. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, Ruth, there's Jesus living inside of you and that gives you hope. 
When everything else is around you telling you something else, the fact that Jesus is inside of you gives you power to control and it gives you the choices to make. Jesus inside of you gives you the victory. You have it now. You don't have to wait for it. It's not going to come to you when you grow into it. You have it now. All you have to do is exercise it. Exercise it. You just have to do it. You just have to stand up and say, I'm standing there where Jesus put me. I'm standing right here where Jesus put me. I'm saying what Jesus says about me. I have overcome this. I might feel like I want to do that, but I have overcome this. I'm standing where Jesus put me. I'm making the choices that Jesus gave me to make. And I'm exercising the power that Jesus gives me now to walk away from sin. And you walk away from it. It's as simple as that. This is overcoming. You get out of that rut. That rut is taking you somewhere you don't want to go. You get out of that, that place that is cut for you and grooved for you with all your disobedience in the past. You break that and start a new pattern, a new behavior. You know, the wonderful thing is you can start a new behavior. The new behavior is this, saying no to the devil. That's the new behavior. And every time he comes knocking at your door, you can say no to the devil. That's the new behavior. You can get that behavior happening so fast that you say no to the devil before he even comes knocking on your door. It's like there all the time for you. It's part of you. No to sin. It becomes so strong. And then you'll understand the verse of Scripture in John when it says, First John, it says, Those who are born of God do not continue to sin because they cannot, because the Spirit of God is residing within them. You'd understand that because that's where you'll be living. You can't sin because the groove is obedience. The groove is faith. The groove is God and walking in harmony with Him. That's the groove. That's the rut. That's the only way for your choices. You get your choice. You choose the pattern. You choose your rut. Which way do you want to do it? Want to spiral down and continue on? Or are you going to, at this point, say, from this time on, it's changing for me. I'm, excess, I'm, excess, I'm, I'm going to exercise faith in Jesus from this time on. I'm going to create a new rut which says no to sin. Yes to God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. This is in the Greek. It's a present passive imperative. Now, I know this is Greek. (laughs) What does it mean? He's saying it's now. So your being strong has to be right now. Be strong right now. So you need to be receiving strength. So it's like, I'm going to exercise strength, but I am receiving strength at the same time as exercising strength. So I'm getting my strength from somewhere else. It's not my strength, it's God's strength inside of me. So I am now receiving strength. And it says, and this is not an invitation. It's like, if you want to be obedient, be obedient. If you want to say, be strong, be strong. No, he says, this is an absolute command requiring full obedience as part of the hearers. So he says, when he says, be strong, he says, now you receive strength and do it. Right now you receive your strength and do it. So Paul is actually saying to them, when temptation is coming your way and looking at you, he says, you just get to God and say, right over there, Jesus, I'm feeling temptation and I'm getting right with you now and I'm getting your strength now. I'm receiving it and I'm doing your strength right now. I'm not fighting this thing. You know, the big thing the devil wants to do is say, come on out here. We saw it last night with one of the Aboriginal guys who came up there. Okay, we'll fight you. Come on, stand up. I'll take three of you on. Come on now. I got the, I got the, I got my culture. Come on, fight, fight. I was just looking at him and laughing. 
What do you think? I'm going to fight you in the flesh? You fight with the spirit, not in the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We cast him down. I'm not going to play your game. The devil says, come play my game with you. You know, we'll go and we'll get near the bottle of wine so that we can say, I'm strong against the wine. You know? So he says, come, just sit with a bottle of wine, see if you can resist it. That's the wrong game. The idea is not to have a bottle of wine there. Chuck the bottle of wine out. Don't play the devil. He says, come and find me. Hey, listen, I'll send Jesus to fight you. Because Jesus has already beaten you. I'm not going to fight you. I don't need to fight you. I am more than a conqueror. I'm just going to live in the victory because Jesus beat you already. I'm going to live in his victory. I'm not even going to fight you. I'm not going to get down, take my shirt off and start to brace myself to fight with you. Devil, go away. Get lost. Jesus, you meet him where he is. And I pray for his salvation. That's the, he says, be strong. Now, the word be strong is an interesting word because it means to be strong and due to strength, be strengthened, to receive strength, to strengthen, increase in strength. And in a bad sense, it means to be bold and headstrong. Well, I like the bad sense in a sense because I think you understand what being bold and being headstrong is. What's a headstrong person? A headstrong person is someone I say, now I want you to do the cooking, you know. Um, uh, can you just go and make sure you cook the dinner? And Headstrong would say something like, I can't, I've got to go. And it's my will against your will. So a battle starts there, you know? So dad might say, you know, well, what's going to happen with the cooking? And you say, well, that's not my problem, I'm out of here. So that's Headstrong. You think, and dad would go, oh, I'm frustrated. And I, I, you know, I talk and, you know, is she going to obey me? She's Headstrong. It's not such a bad thing for if you're headstrong in the right way. You know what being headstrong in the right way is? Headstrong in the right way is when the devil says, you know, come and do this. You say, you know, I'm stubborn and I'm not going to sin. That's my stubborn streak. Oh, no, wait a minute. I haven't finished yet. Just later. He asked me to do something, to take this, and I just said, That's headstrong, you see? And you ran away and I couldn't even find him anymore. Yeah, see, that's headstrong. (laughs) Getting your mind to do something and then pushing through. Being so strong in your mind about it and that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do the right thing. That's headstrong. Be headstrong for Jesus. Be headstrong in the things of God. Be strong in the Lord. So who do we belong? I mean, the Lord tells us that the owner and the controller of us is Jesus. He's the one who controls us. So you don't, even know, you don't even belong to yourself. Sam, you don't belong to you. If you gave your heart to Jesus, you think, well, I'm my own man, you know. You, you don't talk to me about me. I'm, I'm in control of me. You know, you're the, the bottom line is, Sam, this is the difficulty with, with, with being a Christian. You cease to own your own life. God owns it. It's called lordship. He becomes lord of your life. So he is the lord, which means he's the possessor and the controller and the owner of your life. Which means that you are then his slave. Don't like that idea? I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. So when he says jump, you say, how high? He says, jump up onto the chair. Well, that's what you do. You just jump up on the chair. And if he says turn away from sin you don't really don't have a choice anymore your choice is his choice when he says turn away from it 
That's exactly what you have to do. He might say to you, I don't want you to eat this anymore. And he might say, but everybody else is allowed to eat that. He says, yeah, but I'm, not, I'm saying to you, I don't want you to eat that anymore. And when he says that to you, you really don't have a choice in the matter. You have to, you're, well, you do. You have one choice. And what is that choice? Obey. That's the whole idea of lordship. That's what lordship is about. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In God's strength. That's the strength of his might. The power, the force, the power, the mighty force that he exerted on the cross. His ability, his force and his strength. And Jesus has power and he displays might and strength toward us. In Ephesians chapter 1 verses 16 to 23. And and I'm not going to go on because I can go on for another hour. And I'm not going to. Listen. There is ample scripture to tell you that everything that you need to overcome has been generously provided for you. You can put on the full armor of God and stand against the attacks of the enemy. Everything that's in that armor is there for you to stand strong. There is no reason in God why you have to be dictated to by sin. There is absolutely no reason in God why you have to be manipulated by your emotions and by your affections. You might feel strongly, but that's only an indication of the rut that you are in. Your feelings are not there to tell you that you are controlled and can't do anything about it. The feelings tell you that you are in a rut. And all they should do to you is indicate that you need to jump the rut and get out and go with God. So your feelings, if anything, they should indicate that you need to obey God and not your feelings. Your feelings are just an indicator of where you've been before and they're telling you how long you've been there by how strong they are. If your emotions are so strong that you physically feel that you've been in that rut for some time. That's all it tells me. That do not tell me that you have no power. They do not tell me that Jesus has no power. That's what the devil says because you feel so strongly. You are strapped in this rut. You have no power. That's the lie because you have received power and authority. And when you have those feelings, they are in an indicator of the rut. All you have to do is jump them now. Jump on top of them and say, I'm not going to be controlled by them. And you are out of the rut and you are now driving in a new place with Jesus. And that's where he's called us to be. In a new place with Jesus. In a new and living way. Walk you in it. To walk in the resurrected power of Jesus in a new and living way. That's what he's called us for. Amen? So why don't we just commit ourselves to Jesus today and say, this is the beginning of my overcoming. This is the beginning of my new life in Jesus. This is the beginning of where I'm going to go from this time on. Amen? Let's stand together. Now, I know that the hassles are there. I know on a weekly basis there are people who, who struggle with, with, with feelings of, of, of fear and anxiety because of the stuff that's happening. We hear about the wars in the Congo, on the borders of Burundi and Rwanda and, and Uganda with those rebel fighters. And some of us got fearful about that, you know? And, and, and our families are still there. So we, we were fearful about that. And the anxiety, it can, it, it can make you feel like you're helpless. Like you're completely helpless. You can't do anything about that. 
Some of you struggle with substance abuse. Some of you struggle with addictions that have been there for a long time. Mental addictions where you are thinking wrong things continuously. Where you look at wrong things. You know, somewhere along the way you have to say, you know, I've got to stop this. This has to change. If it doesn't change, this spiral is going to keep on going and I'm going to end up in the wrong place. Young men, young women, older men, older women, listen to me now. You can make today a defining moment. You can make today a defining moment by saying, you know what? I'm not playing this game anymore with you, devil. I'm not playing this game anymore with your emotions that you try and put on me. I am not playing. The emotions are just an indicator of the rut. I am getting out of the rut because of what Jesus tells me. I am going to walk free today. Now, you, I can't do that for you. You have to exercise your power and authority that's been given to you by Jesus who's living inside you. Now, I, I don't know where you are at. God knows where you're at. But you need to close your eyes now and say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I'm coming to you right now. I'm tired of the rut. I'm tired of the things that have held me in. I'm tired of the things that have confined my choices. I'm tired of the emotions. I'm tired of all the things that have cut off my possibilities in God. I'm just coming to you, Jesus, and I'm wanting to do what you want me to do, Lord. And I'm going to say no to those things from now on in Jesus' name. I'm saying no to those things. And I'm saying yes to you. I'm going to say no to ungodliness. And I'm going to walk a a life of godliness before you. And I'm going to ask the grace of God now to quicken you and strengthen you, that the grace of God will teach you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and that you would upright and godly lives in him. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit embeds within you a a desire to do the right thing and that that would grow from this day on in Jesus' name. And everybody who wants that said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.